This episode and all of our Sundance coverage is brought to you by the all-new VideoMic Pro Plus from Rode Microphones, the ultimate on-camera shotgun microphone, and by DaVinci Resolve and the Ursa Mini Pro from Blackmagic Design. The all-new VideoMic Pro Plus from Rode Microphones is jam-packed with useful features for shooters on the go. The automatic power function is perfect for the run-and-gun shooter, automatically turning the microphone off when unplugged from the camera. The mic's built-in battery door makes replacing the battery a breeze, plus it won't get lost. It has multiple power options, including the all-new and Rode LB1 lithium-ion rechargeable battery, two AA batteries, or powering continuously via micro-USB. The VideoMic Pro Plus also offers digital switching, which ensures that you have ultimate capture of the audio signal at the source, reducing post-production and editing times. Finally, the high-frequency boost will boost high frequencies, enhancing detail and clarity in the recording, and a safety channel helps ensure that the signal does not clip when unexpected spikes occur. That's the all-new VideoMic Pro Plus from Rode Microphones. Hey everybody, this is Liz Nord and you're listening to the No Film School Podcast. and experimenting with form is part of the very definition of being an independent filmmaker. So it's not surprising that in the age of peak TV, we are among those creating episodic programs in new and inventive ways. The Sundance and South by Southwest film festivals, stalwarts of the American indie scene, have both recognized this trend by including new indie episodic sections in their lineups this year. On today's show, I have three creators of episodics that were featured at Sundance. Tanya Glanz of The Adulterers, Cesar Mazaregos of High and Mighty, and Nash Edgerton of Mr. In-Between. Their shows vary radically in terms of their subjects, styles, and productions. One shot six episodes in four days, and another shot the equivalent of a three-hour movie over six weeks. But they all have something in common. Each creator expressed how much freedom they felt working in this burgeoning medium, unrestricted by duration, platform, and traditional production rules. I think you'll really enjoy hearing from these three creative filmmakers about how they got their series off the ground and stretched production dollars across multiple episodes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the No Film School podcast. Hey, how's Hello. Going? Thank um, you for having us. I would love to start just by you all introducing yourself, letting us know the name of your project here and your role slash roles. You all have multiple roles uh, on them. Uh, my name is Cesar Mazariegos, and I'm the writer and executive producer of High and Mighty. I'm Tanya Glanz, and I am the co-director, writer, producer, and star of The Adulterers. Uh, my name's Nash Edgerton, and I'm the director and executive producer of Mr. Inbetween. And I think just because, you know, most folks won't have seen these yet, we'll do your little logline. So if you want to give the brief overview. Uh, Mr. Inbetween is uh, about a hitman, and you get to see his work life and his personal life, hang out with his daughter and the girl he's trying to date that he met at the dog park and his family life um, and also his, uh, what he does for a living. Um, the Adulterers is about two co-workers who engage in an extramarital affair. Um, it's a show about intimacy and connection and freedom and creativity and it's really just a two-hander, these two people alone in an apartment. Um, and as the story unfolds very slowly, um, you get a little bit more information as each episode continues. Um, so it's subtle and nuanced. Cool. Uh, High and Mighty is a kind of unconventional superhero uh, story about a young 
lovable lush who parties maybe a little too much, who's trying to get his life together. And the day he does that, uh, he survives a vicious shooting unscathed and comes to realize he has superpowers, but only when he is drunk or high. I love when we can have three different guests with three such diverse shows. <laughs> and actually, this sort of speaks to this indie episodics thing. So as you all know, and our listeners may know, this is a whole new section in Sundance. So I'm curious, from your perspective, like, what does it mean? And like, what is your show and what is it not? Is it a web series? Is it a TV series? Is it a movie? I Yeah, I think the diversity in this category is incredible because you have people who are showing one 45-minute pilot. Mm-hmm. You have someone who's showing one 20-minute pizza. I mean, we're showing six short-form episodes that total 45 minutes. Some are five minutes, some are 15 minutes. And I love that fluidity in this category. I think it's so cool. And I think it just goes to show that episodic can be anything. Um, Our show is a short-form series. I think that's the best format for it. I don't necessarily have dreams of adapting it to a 30-minute. So I'm really curious about having that conversation of, I don't think that's always the end-all and be-all of this kind of project. I don't think that the short form web series are just a, a stepping stone to a 30 minute. I think that there should be a place to put these short forms because they're like short stories and why not, you know? So I'm curious about that conversation and what this program will bring to that world. Yeah, I have to agree. I think short, you know, like I, having made a lot of short films, I think, you know, a story is a story and some stories are long and some are short and whatever length the story is meant to be is what it's meant to be. So if, you know, the format you're talking about is, you know, an episode being five minutes and then one being 15, it's still, it's the length that that story is meant to be told at. Mm -hmm. And um, so, you know, there shouldn't have to be a set length for anything, especially in the way that people access uh, content now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, totally. I mean, with that little device in your pocket you got five minutes to kill you can watch your favorite show Mm -hmm. and then go do your thing or do whatever uh and it can be a quality little project it's no longer just you know a couple of kids on youtube i mean there's still plenty of that but like you see how much uh like money and style and and interesting Mm -hmm. ideas are, are coming through that i mean all of your shows have really high production values oh thanks yeah um it sort of begs the question then why so if if you're saying okay, well, it has to be the right format for the story. Then why was this the right format for these particular stories? Like Nash, for example, you've done all these shorts and you decided this is not a short film. Yeah, well, um, you know, know, we made six episodes. They range from 21 minutes to 25 minutes each. Um, That was, you know, and it's a drama. Typically dramas are usually, you know, an hour, a TV hour, which I think is ranges somewhere between 45 minutes and 55 minutes depending on ad breaks and um but I was interested in doing a half hour drama um and that meant you know the episodes ended up being you know 21 to 25 minutes each um that just felt like the right fit to me to the kind of thing we were trying to make um you know that being said like I love going to the cinema and seeing feature-length films um but I also love seeing short content. It just depends on what the the filmmaker's medium is and what kind of story they're telling. Mm. You know, if it's a good idea and a good story, I feel like audiences are engaged no matter what the length is, you know, if, as long as you're being true to what that story is mm. needs to be. Yeah, for us, it made sense for them to be short because our show was never intended and isn't uh, a plot-driven show. You know, it's not something where 
all these salacious events occur, and now the wife's involved, and now someone's pregnant, and someone's trying to murder the, kill the wife off. You're like, no, this is going to be That's light. season two. <laughs> yeah, just wait. Things get hairy. Uh, no, it's, it's light, you know, and we wanted it to have this intimate feel where you're just kind of observing these people having a connection, and, and it's one of those life connections that passes through, and then you probably move on with your life. And so for us, those little snippets were almost like windows. Like, it's almost like you're peeking in, and it has kind of a voyeuristic feeling almost of um, – seeing these really intimate moments. And and I don't think we needed to overwrite that or stretch it out to reach a certain length. So for us, we liked that the, um, this series is almost like a collection of short stories about these two people. And having uh, so many different episodes allowed each one to have its own kind of style and tone. So they do, we were able to make a lot of um, creative choices and say like, well, this one feels like this. And like, maybe this one's totally, uh, completely in the dark. And then maybe this one has really bright light because all of a sudden all these events are happening and things are starting to shift. And so it was very cool because it gave us a lot of freedom. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I've trained myself to kind of be a comedy writer. So there are, like, specific rules to how to write a pilot and how to write a spec and stuff. And so I wrote uh, uh, High and Mighty originally as a 30-minute pilot. Uh, and uh, it came across the desk of the folks at State 13, and they were like, hey, we want to make it into a kind of like a short-form content thing. And I was like, all right, you know, like, <laughs> if someone wants to make it, cool, I'm with it. I had just been in L.A. for about two years. Mm-hmm. So the fact that anybody, especially somebody connected to Warner Brothers, wanted to, to make it and, and, you know, probably – if it's Warner Brothers, make it pretty well and put some some production value into it. I was like, yeah, cool. And then it was trying to figure out how to tell these stories in a shorter way and not just like chop up the three act structure into like, well, act one's going to be this, act two's going to be this, you know, and, and just make it actual stories that are each episodic in their own small like, you know, internet or, or whatever way as opposed to the usual, yeah, that was 11 minutes of TV or whatever. It's interesting. It's. I mean, we didn't say this because it might feel so obvious. But in that first question about what is, what are these episodics? Like, I guess when it comes down to it, that's the point. They do. Mm-hmm. They lead from one to another. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Whether Just they're like short TV, or, uh-huh. yeah. But what about what about production itself? Did you take on production in a different way because you were new, knew you were doing things in an episodic kind of manner? I mean, I think. Uh, for High and Mighty, we, we shot it like an indie movie, and, and Nash was saying kind of you guys did the same thing, right? Where it's just like you, you took three weeks, four weeks, something like that, and shot the whole thing uh, like yeah. a movie? I, well, you know, until this point, I'd only ever made feature films and short films. Uh, I was directing all six episodes, and so we blocked it like a movie, and I had 30 days, so what, six weeks to shoot the whole series. Um, so I, I shot it like a uh, essentially like a three-hour movie in in six weeks. That's ambitious. It's totally ambitious. <laughs> <laughs> Um, our, ours was the opposite of a six week production shoot. I mean, we just want to make something together and our whole con and the reason why we liked the adulterers because it was simple and contained. And, uh, we just said, let's make something we can actually make that we can actually do. Um, that's efficient. So we shot in one location, which was a studio apartment. Uh, and because of that, and because we aren't, we weren't paying anyone. We had no budget. I mean, we paid for this out of pocket. Um, and Chris and I are not rich people. We're struggling actors in New York. So, you know, we paid our friends in food and beer. And, um, <laughs> you know, and it worked. So, uh, and here you are at Sundance. And so, here we kudos. are. Food and beer go a long way. It was really good food. And um, good <laughs> snacks. That's the key. It, it really does. We've done yeah. a few articles about, you know. Good food matters. <laughs> yeah, how to feed your crew. Um, so for us, it was like, okay, well, let's just get the minimum amount of people we need. 
let's keep it small. Let's bring in people we know and trust. This is an intimate project. We want to feel comfortable. So we shot in my friend's studio apartment. We shot three episodes in a day. Took about six months off to just really take time and care with those and edit and learn from them and play around um, and write. And then, yes, about six months, maybe even almost a year later, we shot... uh, one more episode over the course of two days at the office that Chris worked at. And then we shot two well, His more. actual office. Yeah. We snuck in on the weekend. Oh, wow. wow. And it was July. Yeah. And it was July. And they had turned on the AC off. And we were playing oh. Christmas. So that was fun. Oh. Wow. There wasn't enough uh, beer to go around that day. But uh, <laughs> no, everyone was lovely. But And then we shot two more episodes in a day uh, about a month after that. So our total production was four days um, for six episodes. Wow. <laughs> Amazing. Short and fast. I'm really fascinated to hear that because, like, again, I know you all and our listeners haven't necessarily seen it, but you will. I mean, it feels very continuous. I'm shocked that there was a year in between. Oh, good. Fascinating. Yeah. The trick worked. Um, now, you too, that for High and Mighty and Mr. In Between, you have some pretty uh, sophisticated effects. I mean, things that you definitely couldn't do in that kind of very DIY way. But I'm wondering if there was anything, you know, any sort of production hacks or things that you did to make the dollars stretch out across that episodic format. I mean, that would definitely be on the, the production side. Our, our producers at uh, Divide and Conquer uh, specialize in kind of uh, what they call micro-budgets. And I think only this year are they starting to do uh, almost a, th- a two or three million dollar feature. Everything else has been like a million or, or less. I think they made a feature for like, I don't know, 70 grand or something early on. Uh, so they know how to stretch those dollars and they've made a, and they treat the crew well. It's not like just stretching dollars and underpaying people. It's trying to figure out where like a location, uh, like we, we have a shot in a train yard that like starts our trailer and it looks really cool. And it was just like, we couldn't get anywhere else. And he's like, Oh, I've got a friend who owns this location and they have this parking lot in the back and the train goes by it. And now it's like one of our coolest shots. And, and it's little things like that, 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 that kind of really, uh, helped out, you know? What about practical effects? Because there are things like, you know, getting shot and, mm-hmm. you know, these these real stunts. Yeah. I mean, we, we had a, a, a stunt coordinator, uh, Ryan Sturz, I think uh, is his name. And, uh, yeah, he was great. And, and a lot of it was uh, we tried to do as practical as possible because we wanted it to look kind of like this is... That, like it, like a real world setting as, as opposed to you know Iron Man or, or, or Batman or something with a huge amount of production value it looks that much cooler when it's just a guy floating in his backyard mm-hmm. and you know and it's not he's flying through the air and he's punching a guy out and the guy flies through a window we're like how do we make those little cool moments stand out that much more because you know there're not a million of them you know well, yeah for us we kept a you know I, I, the heads of department role first time as I hadn't made TV before and so I wanted to have a crew that hadn't done that either um you know we had a very small crew uh you know in terms of the action stuff my background i started as a stuntman so i had a very clear idea on how i was going to achieve a lot of those things practically and um you know we just shot uh you know we didn't really do any overtime we kept it very small the whole time to be able to pull it off I'm intrigued we by had that. 40, we had 40 locations oh, wow. In, th- wow. in 30 days. So <laughs> oh, we were, my God. <laughs> so we were all moving around like crazy. Yeah. So your production management and the, those, the, the logistics folks were amazing. Yeah, totally. Um, I'm intrigued by this idea that you were first-time TV, and so you wanted to bring on other first-time TV folks because we, what we often hear, what others often advise is, like, if you're a first-timer, then you bring on a much more experienced, you know, producer or DP. So what was that decision-making? Well, uh, you know, one, 
we didn't have a huge budget, so we were paying everyone scale. I wanted to, you know, I thought I want to give people opportunity. And also, I, I because I was trying to do it, uh, you know, having not made TV before and I didn't want it to look like a lot of other TV I'd seen. I didn't want anyone to bring in, oh, this is how you're supposed to do it. Mm. Mm-hmm. I wanted to have that freedom. We're all discovering how we want to make this show together. And that to me felt like the right approach to, you know, for me and my creative collaborators to figure out what we wanted that approach to be and not have any sort of, you know, preconceived notion of what that should be from people who'd done it before. I didn't want someone going, well, this is not how you do TV. It's like, mm. well, <laughs> why not? Why not? Watch me. I love that. Actually, and this, so then, you know, this begs the question for all of you. What did you discover in this process? Because all of you were fairly new to this particular mm-hmm. thing. Um, for me, it was... I got into writing and really concentrating on writing after an experience uh, directing, co-directing and co-writing a, a short that we paid for, me and a friend of mine, you know, whatever, put like five grand or something like that, more each into it. Uh, and after, and it, you know, it was a 30-minute short. It was, we were dumb enough to shoot a 30-minute short, which then doesn't get in anywhere because it's too too long or whatever. Um, but it, there were just so many different moving parts and people that like, we didn't know that well going into it who, you know, who, who like were working for us that we paid and everything, but it was still like, oh, I wish we could have done this better or, or found better collaborators in a sense. So I just went inward and was like, well, the only thing I know I can control is the writing. Mm-hmm. And then I kind of felt like I was just getting stronger and better as a writer. And so by the time I came around to, to stage 13 and making this happen, then it was learning how they they were cool enough to be like we want you to be the executive producer because this is your your voice for sure we don't want to just buy the script from you and then tell someone else to make it uh so we want you to help you know find the director find the actors uh think of locations and all that kind of stuff uh which you know thank god for that 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 was amazing um so not that that typical yeah and not that typical at all um it, it was really really cool of them and uh yeah and so once i was on set it was it was figuring out. It was it was figuring out how to be a, a collaborator and not just be like, no, that's not what I saw in my head. I saw this because mm-hmm. all these people are artists, also, mm-hmm. uh, all artists with like specific visions as as, as you know wardrobe, as as uh, a DP, as as you know everyone there is really good at what they are doing specifically. So for you know it was learning for me to just not be to give them the space because they are going to bring you an idea that maybe you didn't think of that's going to be super cool and, and, and great. So don't just, you know, be, you know, a, a Nazi about it and be like, no, it's just, it's like this and this is whatever. But also figuring out when you should have those moments and say, that's not really the tone of the show, so we, we should do it this, you know, this way. I'd prefer it that way. And and, and everyone was a really great collaborator, mm-hmm. especially uh, Carlos Lopez Estrada, who directed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and from Jump was like, you know, we were just meeting in my house, and we were just going page by page. It's like, well, what do you see? What does this guy look like? What is what is he wearing? Like, all that kind of stuff. And, and, and he's, he's, he's great. He's been a gem. And Carlos has another project here, right? Yeah, he did Blind Spotting, mm-hmm. uh, which opened the festival, which when we found that, I was like, whoa, dude, like, <laughs> you're, you're going you guys. Yeah, no, yeah. not at all. I mean, if people come through because, and they both have similar kind of tones. It's like a neighborhood story about some homeboys, and, and it's just one is just turns way more serious, but it's still a comedy, and ours is a comedy, but also it's serious in a different kind of way. Like it's it's really interesting. I'm I'm really curious to see what 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 kind of projects he takes on after. Mm. So discoveries, learnings along the way. Yeah, I am. Um, 
we, I, I, and it's funny that you said like, oh, we're new to this. And I am, I'm, I'm a newbie. I'm new to this festival. But I actually did have another short form series that was shot in a similar scrappy, efficient <laughs> manner um, that came out in the past seven years called Timeless Seasons I made with Hannah Boss and Amy Height. And um, same thing, where we shot in Hannah's apartment, shot three in a day, you know, thrifted all of our set pieces, did it with friends, and we loved it and were really proud of it and got a good response. So I'm very much in that world, and I think it would be a... I don't know. I'm one of those people that's like, no, we'll just do it all ourselves. Like, I want to do it. And um, and I think the biggest lesson that Chris... Chris Roberti um, is the other half of The Adulterers. Uh, something that we discussed, especially with all this festival stuff ramping up. Because, you know, when you're the writer, director, producer, executive producer, music supervisor, actor, everything, you know, set dresser, you're getting all the emails from the festival. And I'm sure you know <laughs> yeah, how yeah, many yeah. freaking emails it's that is. Fun. So, yeah. So it started yes. to really ramp up. And we were like, next time we're asking someone, you know, like, like we need an assistant producer. So that was kind of the the biggest lesson for us is like, oh, it's okay to ask for help. Like we can have someone assisting us. And while we're in making all those main kind of executive creative decisions, we can have someone deal with like catering. You know, we because we're doing all that, and um and it's manageable because it's usually just he and I and a crew of four people. But we did have one episode where we had fifteen extras, and that was just that one. But um, I think going forward, we learned that it's okay to ask for help, and I think. Um, we've learned to be more efficient with our writing too. Um, that was a really fun challenge. It was like, how can we pare it down? How can we pare it down? And in um, that last episode in The Office, uh, there were some scenes written where our characters kind of finally come, kind of break this tension. And I had scripted this scene, but I said, let's shoot it scripted. And then I just want to cut mostly all of the dialogue. Let's just see if we can do this silently and let's just see how it feels. And that's the take we kept. It was awesome. So that was a really cool lesson in like, oh, this show can be so quiet and you can still get all that information. Um, and we like to play a lot and there's a lot of trust there, obviously. So um, I don't know. That was just a very cool experience. Like, oh, you don't need to write in all those jokes. You get it all, you know? You it's get like all that information. Economy. It's the nuance. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's it's efficient and it's economic, exactly. Um, look, I, I think what I discovered, you know, going uh, going into it because I was making what essentially was three hours of content. Um, you know, having made feature films before, you know, you're trying to keep the whole film in your head and keep track of everything that's happening in the movie uh, can be quite daunting. And then doing this TV, I I felt like it was going to be the same thing. But then because I was approaching, even though I was shooting it all as uh, all blocked together, I could still isolate each episode and know I'm only trying to keep 20 to 25 minutes in my head at a time in terms of story. So I found it really quite manageable in terms of um, what elements of the story I was trying to tell at any certain point. And that was really great because it felt like going in, how am I going to, do this much content and then knowing it was you know essentially six long short films felt you know possible was there anything in particular that you did to to make it possible in that tight time frame with all those locations i mean it sounds crazy (laughs) (laughs) um no look I, i you know i tend to bite off a bit more than I can chew and then just chew really hard. (laughs) (laughs) 
Originally designed for Hollywood's elite colorists, DaVinci Resolve has been used on more feature films and TV shows than anything else because it lets you create images that are simply impossible with other tools. The latest release of Resolve now incorporates full non-linear editor functionality and fully featured Fairlight audio, integrated directly with color tools to provide a comprehensive and complete pipeline for finishing. Recently introduced and making an impact around the industry for its high quality and flexible form factor, the Ursa Mini Pro professional digital camera combines incredible image quality with the features of a traditional broadcast camera. Ergonomically designed controls on the side of the camera allow you to adjust most settings by feel and without ever having to take your eyes off the action. Ursa Mini Pro also features built-in ND filters, a status display, and a revolutionary new interchangeable lens mount that lets you change between EF photographic lenses, or PL, B4, and F mount lenses. Ursa Mini Pro is lightweight and comfortable enough to use all day, has controls that are extremely fast to use, and image quality that's far superior to broadcast cameras costing 10 times more. That's the Ursa Mini Pro Professional Digital Cinema Camera from Blackmagic Design. Someone referred to this early in the conversation, but as this whole format landscape is changing, obviously the distribution landscape is changing just massively. It's hard to stay on top of. And again, we're speaking to other filmmakers. So I'm curious, first of all, where did you intend for these things to go, if at all, or did you just make them? That's the first part. And then we'll get to the second part. Uh, when I wrote it just as the pilot, just as the sample piece, I just wanted to get representation. And that was it. I oh, didn't so you really... didn't even intend to make it? No, not really. I mean, the first one was like, I knew someone who was doing visual effects and uh, she was like, it was just one of those things where I'm meeting people in LA and she was like, yeah, let's meet up. I know someone at El Rey uh, and they're looking for content and I do special effects, my husband and I do special effects. Uh, and then she was like, what if we write something that's kind of lo-fi? And I was like, uh, or, or what if you write something? She was like, I don't know how to write, but I, I know how to do visual effects. Don't write anything in outer space. And I was like, all right, cool. <laughs> so I wrote that. And again, it was just like, you know, and, you know, it was one of those things where, you know, we, we kept in touch, but we didn't really follow up on like, yeah, let's go shoot it now. Because, again, these things take money and I had like none of it. Uh, so it, it, I, it was a sample piece, though. And then I got repped at, at Gersh and at, uh, found a manager at Magnet. Uh, and... It, then it went to, you know, it landed at the desk at stage 13. And, uh, yeah, when they wanted to make it, they're like, we want to make short-form content, premium short-form content that, that looks like it could be on, you know, FX or, or whatever, HBO, Comedy Central, um, and have people come to stage 13 specifically to find this kind of new format uh, and, and these new projects like the, that are specifically uh, kind of uh, for a, a millennial audience that's like, uh, young people of color, uh, young queer people, uh, to not only see themselves in, f you know, in front of the camera, but the people behind the camera are, mm -hmm. are, are also, you know, uh, from that demographic. Uh, so yeah, it was, it was always, it's going to be on stage13.com. It's going to be on stage13.com. Mm -hmm. And, uh, now it's like, you know, well, maybe if it gets acquired, you know, somewhere and it, it goes to a, a, another, uh, uh, place to be distributed, then it brings viewership to stage 13 because mm -hmm. at the end of it, people will say, oh, cool, what's stage 13? And I'll mm -hmm. go check it out because it's super hard to not, you know, unless you're plastering billboards everywhere to, to raise awareness of what stage 13 is. Um, so, you know, if we can be the anchor or, or whatever to like kind of like, mm -hmm. or the signal flare or whatever to get people over there, then, then, then great. Mm -hmm. But I'm happy as long as people can see it, you know, because we shot it like maybe a year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, going to the festivals, especially Sundance, has been an absolute thrill. But all my friends are like, when can I see this online? When will it be released, do you know? <laughs> uh, I, right now, we're not sure. Because, again, if, if we start having conversations about that kind of stuff, then, then you know, it'll depend. There have been people who have been interested in just kind of making it a feature. 
hmm. uh, just kind of stringing all the episodes together, which, you know, is a little weird because that's not how it was written. Right. Um, but, you know, people can see it. And we'd have to shoot an ending because this was a real cliffhanger. <laughs> so we'd have to kind of like, sh- you know, shoot an actual movie ending for it. Um, but, I, you know, I'd prefer to stay a, a web series and, and uh, you know, hopefully people dig it, you know. Fingers crossed. Chris and I made this out of pure um, creativity. We just wanted to make something together for nobody but ourselves. Both of us felt a little burnt out with the industry. You know, we're, we go on auditions, and it's always kind of like on someone else's terms. And he and I are both creators and writers, but um, I think we were both feeling a little creatively stumped, and um, we knew we wanted to make something together. So we just started brainstorming and writing, and we did that for about a year mm-hmm. and um, just really took our time. And it was just such a joyful, creative experience. We made this for ourselves and for creativity with no commercial expectations expectations or intentions um i don't really give a shit who likes it can i say shit on this podcast yeah. cool um you have, you have now me. Yeah. too late um, we have no. the explicit the explicit warning actually. oh good I'm, now I'm, I'm so gonna, yeah go for now it now i'm gonna go ham uh, so fucking do it no fuck yeah um no i mean I, I i love it so much and i'm so proud of it and um and of course, I want I want people to see it because I love it and I think it's worth seeing. But like, um, where where do so you that's I mean that's the that's the big question. I mean, I think that this kind of short form content that's intended to be kept short it's kind of the wild west, you know, and um, and that's the grand question. I mean, a lot of people love it, and it's just a question of where. I mean, I Netflix, Amazon, Hulu. If you're listening, <laughs> why wouldn't you put a short form series on there? Why wouldn't you binge an hour that's an entire season? Yeah. Why would you watch it on your phone, like you said, you know? I mean, come on. It feels like that's the next step. Mm-hmm. And I think that you're right. Companies that are honoring short form as an art form and finding those platforms for it, like, that's the, that's the conversation I'm interested in having. So I think our dream would be somewhere like someone like Stage 13, someone like HBO Digital, someone that has a digital platform for short-form content, and we're saying, like, hey, this is artful and worth seeing. Yeah. Um, and the fact that we made this out of pure creativity and that people are responding to it is just wonderful and rewarding you know it's like i don't know it's a strange surreal experience to be here we were yeah yeah we were just gonna put them on the internet and like see what people thought (laughs) and then our friend was like hold up (laughs) hold on tom see what you can do that was good advice i think a lot of our listeners are going to be really excited by by each of your stories that you sort of you know really just did what you wanted to do and said let's not play by the traditional rules and here you are at sundance and here you know the projects are going on and having talks what about what about mr in between um Look, you know, as a filmmaker, I I want to make stuff to get an audience, as much of an audience to see it as possible, you know, whether it be the short film, f- short films I've made, the feature film I've made, or this TV series. Um, you know, because, and, and especially getting to play at a festival where you get a bunch of strangers get to see your work. As a filmmaker, I find that's the most educational <clears throat> thing I can have, like an audience seeing the film is how I learn, you know, what is working and what's not working by how they're responding, you know, because the audience reaction doesn't lie. You know, you can have people watch your stuff and come up to you, the filmmaker, and say, hey, I really liked it. But, you know, which is nice, but an audience's reaction is the real truth of, you know, what is working mm-hmm. about what you've made. Or when you hear them gossiping about it on the shuttle later. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. um, so, you know... The whole intention of the show is to, you know, have it screen and have it get an audience. You know, we, we made it in Australia. We have, uh, you know, we had distribution in Australia for it to play. Um, but beyond that, coming to a festival like Sundance and this new section to give it an opportunity to try and be seen elsewhere is 
really great because, you know, like, you know, telling a story where you're from is one thing and then having that story work in other places, you know, because, you know, I like to make stories. I feel like as humans we have a lot of universal themes and things we all can relate to and, you know, if the story can go beyond where I'm from, then that's really great. I'm so excited to see where all these projects go from here. It's it's really an interesting moment. Um, so finally, advice. You, you did talk about some advice in your discoveries, but, you know, if people are listening to this and they feel turned on, like, oh, I want to do some sort of serious thing, where would you tell them to start? What kind of, you know, words of wisdom would you pass on? Uh, get a good group of collaborators, I guess. Uh, that makes all the difference. People that, like, you know, are, are just as jazzed about it as you are and, and maybe, is you know, it isn't about the money immediately. They, you know, the guy running your boom, you know, for, for your project. Or girl. Guy or girl, sorry, who's running the boom for your project uh, could end up, you know, now you're, you're you know, running cables for his or, or, or helping him shoot it. or And you start learning how to, like, be a, you know, oh, I, I didn't know anything about the camera, but now maybe I'm, I'm a better, you know, DP or whatever because of it, or I can at least hold it and know, I aim it in a certain direction or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, I, like, I knew a guy in New York who went to uh, Columbia grad and then uh, just found the exact perfect fit of, you know, friends and, and, and collaborators. And, and uh, yeah, they do stuff all the time out there. And, it, and I was jealous. And I was like, damn, I was out in New York. And I just like, I felt like I didn't really have someone to kind of make this stuff with. And again, that's why I just went internal and was just like, I'm just right. That's what I know I'm good at. And, you know, it can, you know, test me on that or whatever. Um, so yeah, I think it's just really about the people because it's not, you're not going to make, you can't make a movie alone. Uh, so it's just making it the right way it's certainly a business and all that and it's just like any other office or whatever but if our this our little world is a little different so if we can you know do uh, uh what we can to to make it a, a nice chill cool environment with people that we like and and, and trust and and you know then that that's kind of all the difference i think yeah i second the collaboration thing i mean that was that's my main point too is that if you have a group of people who trust you and you work well with um that's how it happens and it's just so joyful and wonderful and um i would say gather those people and don't be afraid to say like we should do something like what are you what are you up to like what what inspires you and i would also say don't make content i mean unless i don't know you have some big agent and you're trying to make (laughs) a million bucks and you don't give a shit but if you you know you want to make something you dig and that you're proud of like don't think about what people are wanting or don't think about what might be marketable or whatever. Like, I feel like that's so transparent, you know? I would say make what you want to make, even if it's weird. Like, we didn't know that anyone would give a crap about two people who are sitting around their brown underwear making dioramas out of (laughs) uh, pipe cleaners and cardboard paper this actually happens in the show i want to see this show now (laughs) it's thrilling that's the description oh yeah crafts happen and um you know like it was just like funny to us and then we spent hours making crafts and we're like oh i love this you know like no one would have been like and now this is the part of the script where they craft and talk about death you know like no that's that's the stuff that we talked about and like that we dig and that is interesting to us so i would just say Make what's interesting to you because I think an authentic, unique voice and idea will always rise to the top. Yeah, and it can be rough. It will be yeah, rough. Yeah, you know what I'm you'll saying? Learn. Like, Who cares? like you can't get better as a visual yeah. artist, you know, or whatever, yeah. without just sketching, yeah. without yeah. getting sloppy with it. Like I, I went to visual. I went to arts high school, and I didn't go for visual art, but I learned to draw better for my friends, and I learned 
how to draw better just by just like stop caring just like mm-hmm. keep it one line just don't take your pencil mm-hmm. off the paper let it get sloppy and the same thing goes for for writing the same goes for for filmmaking if you want to shoot it with your phone shoot it with your phone you know what i'm saying like totally. tangerine was shot on a phone totally like, get it get done out there, get get sloppy with it and then see where okay this is a little too sloppy so i'll do this <laughs> next time but especially now that it's digital you know like it's not film you're not burning you know celluloid or whatever like it's cheaper yeah. and get out there and do it done is better than good that's what elizabeth gilbert says <laughs> put it out there move yeah. on don't overthinking or give a show critics say make, start making your next thing yeah yeah for finish sure. it yeah i couldn't agree more i think stay true to what you actually want it to be you know like you know, with mr in between scott who wrote it and stars in it you know we've been trying to we tried for a long time to get the show up and a lot of people really like the scripts and they like me as a filmmaker but he was an unknown actor and they were like what about this person for the role what about this person i'm like no scott is the guy he's the guy like i'm only making it if he plays the guy and we just held out and held out until someone let us make it with him and i you know and for anyone who's sees the show you can't imagine anyone else playing that yeah, character totally. what was his background can i ask like it feels like i don't know like a bot like he used to be a boxer or something it's just a physical nature to his, well, his performance been, yeah he, he's he, he he does some boxing and stuff but he was he, he's been driving taxis for the last 12 years oh, wow. Get out. Wow. You know, in a <laughs> small town in in yeah. rural victoria and but i was like i'm not making it unless he's the guy it's mm. so natural you can't imagine the show without him exactly it's so it's a really That's cool awesome yeah. So stick to your guns, so to yeah, speak. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, like ultimately, like you know, as as you were saying, if uh, you know, you, you're ultimately you're making it for yourself, and you got to trust in the fact that you're probably not that weird that someone else out there is going to like it too. <laughs> you know, if you and your friends yeah. like it, then chances are someone else is going to like it. Yeah. Well, this has been so chock full of insights. Mm. I'm really excited for the show to get out there and for all of your shows to get out there and I can't wait to see what happens next. Thank you all so much. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. While the shows featured in this episode are finding their homes, you can go see Nash Edgerton's feature film, Gringo, which opened theatrically last week. Congratulations, Nash. Meanwhile, if you liked what you heard here, you can hear lots of other fascinating conversations on the art of filmmaking by finding the No Film School podcast in iTunes. Make sure to subscribe there or on your favorite podcast app so you can catch our Indie Film Weekly News Show, which comes out every Thursday morning and fills you in on everything you might have missed when you were busy making films. Also, be sure to visit nofilmschool.com for useful new articles every single day. And stay in touch. You can reach me on Twitter at LizFilm, and we are on Twitter at NoFilmSchool. See you on Thursday.